This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. So as we continue our coverage of the 2022 midterms, it is time for our monthly check-in with our friend Kevin Jones. He is, of course, the leader of Indivisible Vashon, and this podcast has teamed up with him and his group for an ongoing series that will lay out a comprehensive plan of attack for Indivisibles to have a real impact on this year's most crucial of elections. And so we welcome back our friend Kevin Jones. Hello, my friend. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Stefan. I'm enjoying uh, enjoying life here on Bashan Island. The, uh, the the snow is gone. The, uh, the 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 runoff that made Fisher Creek burble with joy uh, is is calming down a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, life life is good here, and I'm certainly glad to be focusing with you on elections today. I am as well. And I will just say, you know, that most people know that I've been on hiatus and I'm kind of getting back into things as well and kind of dusting off the cobwebs. And so it's, it's good to be checking in with you right now. Um, and I know that you're spending a lot of time examining national races. There are a number of factors that are changing uh, things right now, especially redistricting. I want to start there. And actually, I'd like to start here at home uh, because I think a lot of people, myself included, had thought that our redistricting was a done deal, but uh, apparently not. So where are we now in the process of redistricting here in Washington? Well, you know, there's there are many steps in these processes, of course. And I, I like you, once the uh, Supreme Court came in and gave the redistricting commission a pass on being late, uh, I thought the maps were pretty much on their way through. But the actual scheduled due date is still ahead of us a week or so. And I suspect there's some action that the legislature, possibly the governor, needs to take in order to have those maps actually be no kidding final maps. I frankly don't know the specifics of who has to buy off, but the national groups who do the map evaluations, and this is what I'm waiting for, will come back and tell us where we've either gained or lost competitive advantage for progressives. That is going to be probably another couple of weeks away. Um, I'm pretty sure we can guarantee that uh, Dr. Schreier's seat in the 8th Congressional District is going to be competitive. It has been the most competitive district uh, since it was created. Uh, state legislative districts, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to take a, a look and see once those maps are being evaluated by, by those other organizations. To be continued. And that's something we definitely want to touch base on again. Yeah, you talk about the 8th District, where I live, as most people know. Um, it was created to be a Republican safe district in 2010. Uh, and I think it has just gotten even more competitive. So a lot of work to do there. And certainly we will circle back on the legislative races as well. Um, I want to touch on some key states nationally, because I know that you've been putting a lot of focus on this, been uh, crunching a lot of numbers. Um, these are Some of these states are still in the process of redistricting. So let's Let's talk about some of those. I want to start with Florida. I want to get the bad news out of the way first. We'll start with Florida. Um, tell us a little bit about how the dynamic is shifting there. Well, let's see. Every First of all, every state is different in how they do this. Uh, there's some similarities. Now, Florida is a state where the legislature controls the maps. And the, the maps can be vetoed by, by the governor. But the legislature, the governor, the attorney general they're all Republicans, mm. um, and as well as the, uh, the Secretary of State. And Florida gains a seat in the House. So um, we don't seem to have any heroes there who are going to be uh, looking for fair map development in Florida. They get one more seat in the game, and uh, they're going to control the maps. Now, and also, they don't emerge until June. So 
it's hard to know what to do between now and June when it comes to Florida. And so I'm kind of setting it aside for now, unless things are obvious. The only thing that might be really obvious in Florida is uh, the, uh, the governor's race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, that would be quite interesting with, uh, I'm sorry, um, the Senate race with uh, Rubio and Val Dennis. That's, yes. that's the race that, uh, that I think might be worth paying attention to. Uh, but for now, Florida has uh, got, got a lot of uncertainty around redistricting. You know, you, I, I knew that you meant the Senate race when you were, you were talking about that. But, uh, the, you know, the, the governorship is an interesting thing to keep an eye on as well, because DeSantis mm-hmm. is emerging as the key challenger to Trump. Uh, things are heating up there a little bit. So uh, ideally, they'll, uh, <laughs> they'll do some damage to each other, he said off the record. Um, so as, what, the, as the swords are drawn, uh, <laughs> we shall see who, who draws first blood, perhaps. Uh, yeah, hard to say. <laughs> All right, let's shift over and talk about Pennsylvania. This is not necessarily good news either. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, I believe, is going to be a really important state for us. It has historically been so. But Pennsylvania's maps aren't out yet. They're due pretty quick. February is when they're scheduled. Their legislature is also the body that comes up with their maps, and that is controlled by Republicans. But the governor is a Democrat, and that can go ahead and veto those um, the redistricting maps. Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, although it could be, uh, you know, a, a key state in our map of moving progressives forward, they lose a House seat. Um, so even with fairness, nonetheless, there's one seat that's gone from from the from the uh, the, the real progressive advocates that we're relying on. We keep talking about governors and sit tight because we have uh, a special segment prepared uh, about governor's races and just how crucial they are. Um, Wisconsin, I know, is really on a lot of people's radar. It was in 2018. It was in 2020. It is emerging as a key swing state. Um, How are things shaping up there? Uh, Not too different than Pennsylvania in terms of how the process works. Again, a Democratic governor. Um, The Wisconsin team is working hard right now. Um, to make sure that they protect Governor Evers. Uh, now, Senator Ron Johnson has decided he's going to put his uh, hat back into the ring, even though he said he wouldn't after two terms. And uh, I can tell you the folks in Wisconsin, I've, I talked to their out-of-state coordinators. They are absolutely motivated to make things happen in Wisconsin. And uh, I hope that our listeners are too especially with Ron Johnson. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's going to be putting an awful lot of focus on him, and, and well, they should be. Um, potential good news in New York. Uh, talk about that. So, you know, New York is uh, has not yet uh, got their maps out. They're still working on that. And uh, April is the time frame that they're doing that. Um, New York struggles uh, with a decision about how to do fair redistricting, if you will. And, and the struggle is that um, it's... We know that the conservative states are are pretty much going full bore uh, to redistrict in a way that advantages the members of their party. And the Supreme Court hasn't stood up to stop that. And while we as progressives believe that fairness and equity are the watchwords, um, we're also facing a, a world in which fairness and equity aren't guaranteed across the board. So Florida is struggling in my sense, what I've read, with this decision about whether they go fair and equitable and sort of equal competition in their districts or whether they say, um, you know, we're in a a survival situation here and uh, existential threat to our democracy. We're going to make sure we have some seats there that can keep us democratic, not 
authoritarian. And you and, and you uh, said so, uh, you said Florida, but I know that you're still talking about New York. Yes, still talking. About, oh, sorry. Yeah, still talking about New York. Um, so, um, you know, I think over the course of the next couple of months, it'll be very interesting to see what indivisible groups in New York, what their messaging might be on this question to their uh, their state legislature. Um, they actually have a non-political commission that does their maps. Um, their democratic controlled legislature can modify the maps if the commission maps are twice rejected. So there's a, a couple of things to keep an eye on in terms of the news about how the New York process is going. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of progressives are hoping that in New York, they're going to take the gloves off um, in terms of redistricting and start to to take advantage of some of the things that, that Republicans are taking advantage, much in the way that I understand the process uh, is happening in, in Oregon. Are there any other noteworthy developments uh, around the country that you would, would call attention to? Um, th I think those are the highlights, but I, I'm glad you mentioned Oregon. Um, our, our neighbors to the south, uh, progressives just like us, yeah, they've, they've decided that unilateral disarmament in the redistricting fight is probably not their best strategy. And so um, they haven't been a huge shift, but, uh, but, but the shift is towards progressives. So that's certainly good news for us. Let's talk about the 26 states that have finalized their maps. Uh, and, you know, Dave Wasserman of Cooks, they do the ratings, uh, you know, between uh, strong Democrat, strong Republican, lean, you know, toss up, those, those sorts of things. He mm -hmm. believes that redistricting, as he's looking at it so far, has largely been a wash. And it hasn't been this GOP onslaught that I think a lot of us had feared. What are you finding? Um, I'm, I'm hearing that message amplified as well uh, through the analytics that I'm looking at. Now, this is from 538, who we will all remember in 2016, was pretty confident. Nate in Silver. The 20, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, grains of salt, please <laughs> grab the salt shaker as we go through this. But um, they are doing a state-by-state -state evaluation of redistricting. And they're one of the five sources that I look at, right, when I when I come up with a conclusion. Um, so what, if you scroll down through their redistricting page, you'll see which states have got their maps in, which of those maps are in litigation, and in their assessment, which states have, which parties have gained or lost ground. And in Arizona and North Carolina, Republicans have gained ground. No surprise in Arizona, right? Okay. Yep. In North Carolina, it turns out that those maps are in litigation. Uh, apparently not yet in Arizona, and I'm kind of expecting that might happen. Um, the, the good news is that Illinois, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, and again, Oregon, 538 says Democrats have gained ground. Now, only two of those five states are in litigation. That's Nevada and New Jersey. And Nevada is going to come up again a big time in the, the later in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, Democrats are gaining ground uh, in five uh, states versus two. Um, there's there's 19 states where they say neither party has gained ground. And so that goes to Dave Wasserman's point. The key states that we're taking a look at, because historical battleground states, Texas, Georgia, Iowa, and California have apparently not gained ground, even though Texas has redistricted in a way that there's literally only one competitive district right now. Um, so it kind of takes a shine off Texas for where do you want to put your energy, unless you have a passion for those governor races like, you know, uh, Mr. Abbott.
<laughs> well, let's talk about the governor races, uh, because uh, Dan Pfeiffer, who was Obama's communications director, currently uh, one of the commentators on Pod Save America, uh, recently published a substack in which he was uh, trying to really call out the overwhelming importance of governor's races, not least of which is because governors can stand in the way of voter subversion and sabotage by state legislatures. Uh, so as you mentioned in a couple of instances, having a Democratic governor uh, really can make all the difference. So what are some of the important governor races? that you think we should be aware of this year? You know, and I'll get into that, but let me amplify the challenge we have in this coming 2022. Because if we go back to, um, you know, 2020, kind of the question was, do you want to focus on the White House or the the Congress, (laughs) right? And we didn't have this question of stolen elections and whether or not election officials were going to stand up and do the right thing, you know, back when we were having that conversation. Today, the situation, building the map of where people put energy is complicated by the fact that there's so many other really important races, like you say, that'll have an outcome on that election, not just the votes that take place for the candidates. So um, the governor, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but I'm looking at what role the governor plays in basically that whether the election will be fair or not fair. And in Florida and Texas, the attorney general and the secretary of states are both appointed by the governor. So in other states, right, we can rally behind electing the right AG or the right SOS. Take that off the board in Florida and Texas. If you want those states to have good election machinery, you've got to get the right governor in place. Uh, Pennsylvania, some, it's a bit similar, only their secretary of state, though, is appointed by the governor. Their attorney general is elected. Um, in uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, here again, we have Republican legislators who draw the maps and a Democratic governor who has veto power. Again, so those two states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Democratic governors are pretty darn important. Um, in, in Georgia, where redistricting has resulted in like one somewhat competitive house race. Um, the governor and the AG and the st- secretary of state races, um, those are all elected and those are some of the most competitive in the country. So when we look into Georgia, having good election machinery um, means putting some thought into whether you wanna support election of progressives in the governorship, the attorney general and the secretary of state. And of course, Stacey Abrams is going to probably pull a lot of support, as she should, right along with Senator Raphael Warnock. Absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that if you hadn't. Uh, and you mentioned the Senate. Um, the Senate advantage that I think had been projected has disappeared slightly. What's the latest there? Yeah, so it's, you know, we're, of course, we're going to keep our eye on things as they shift around. We just right now have the preliminary assessments by groups like Cook political report, inside elections, and so on. Um, I think there's a lot of ground to be changed, and there's some open seats uh, where the competitors need to be really identified. You know, who's the emerging progressive, if you will, uh, who we're going to want to put our effort behind. So, in that sense, you know, we are still watching to see what happens. Um, but I will say that um, in the general sense of these kind of races in the Senate, you know, I look back to Georgia. You know, we, we know that, that it's, we have a challenge in front of us. We also know we had a challenge in front of us in, in 2020. And just to see the Purdue-Warnock race come to being so close, they had to go to a runoff, 
which put that race into, you know, January of the following year. That's what was able to have us successfully have a tie in the U.S. Senate. So we know that the long odds have been a challenge. We also know we've been able to deal with those and be successful. And so we need to keep thinking about those wins as we look at the challenges we face going ahead in 2022. I like looking at it in that way because I, I really feel like, you know, the, the long odds in that particular instance really did light a fire under us collectively. And uh, we're, I, I think, hoping that we can kind of repeat that dynamic moving into this year's uh, midterm election. You know, there are a number of things that could really shift and impact the midterm election between now and then. Talk about just a few of those things. So I think it's important to keep those front of mind. Yeah, and this, I'd like to, I think here we have a chance to sort of reflect on what we're hearing in the progressive news media. Um, like we know that the House insurrection investigation is yet to play out. And we also know that um, those, uh, that bipartisan investigation committee is going to be bringing their findings forward. And now that the Supreme Court has decided to rightfully not block Trump's attempt to stop release of information during his term, um, I think we're going to see a pretty rich under, you know, insight into how the parties dealt, you know, were engaged in that insurrection. Um, and I think that is a very powerful shift of, of public messaging. And we had that same opportunity during the two impeachments of Trump. But we also had the Trump machinery, the propaganda machinery in charge of the government to basically dull the effect. So I'm thinking that that is, is certainly one of the areas that will be impressive and important for us. Uh, but there's more if you'd like me to go on. I, I would. I mean, a, a couple of other things that I would love to just uh, chat about uh, briefly is, is we we know that COVID has been top of mind. The economy and the pandemic are two of the biggest concerns uh, for for voters. And in, in particular, the pandemic is a pretty fluid situation. So things could potentially that that could absolutely affect the outcome of the November election. And then talk a little bit about how a lot of the uh, the, the challengers, the Republican challengers who are coming up are moving much further to the right in order to gain Trump's approval. And this could shift the dynamic as well, right? It, it can. Uh, you know, the um, we all see the challenges in Arizona, for example, with Trump's rally there. You know, we had the, the fellow running for secretary of state to replace Katie Hobbs, a Trump loyalist, a QAnon believer. Um, it's, it's, it's very intriguing to me to see where Trump is going to take the Republican Party. Um, a friend of mine, who's his observations about politics, says you, you can't worry too much when the other side's in charge because they're going to push the pendulum so far to their side that people will become disgusted and work really hard to push it back. So I think that's the mechanism that, that we're counting on when it comes to um, the, the kind of folks who win those Republican primaries. Um, but clearly, again, the uh, pundits who do this analysis, who look at where those races are competitive, you know, uh, we certainly plan to bring that information forward so people can have some hopefully well-advised uh, information about how, where they want to put their energy. Particularly in districts, I think, where we've seen a lot of swing votes happen, the, the so-called um, Obama-Trump voters in uh particularly uh, key suburban districts and things like that may be very alienated by some of the uh, the Trump-approved candidates to be continued on that. So just to yes. sum up very briefly, what are the states that we're right now, your math is showing that we should really focus on? Well, um, I mentioned Wisconsin earlier um, and the Ron Johnson and Governor Evers. 
um, they they look like they're like the the fifth most vulnerable state um, in in the country based on the data we have right now. Um, they're um, and this is the district in in Wisconsin, yeah. Um, and uh, it, all of these races are coming forward with these analyses of you know where they fit, and and we'll, we'll have to be adjusting the map right as we go forward. Um, but in Wisconsin, I mentioned earlier, governor, attorney general, secretary of state races, those are also quite competitive. And so, you know, when you engage a voter to support a progressive candidate, all of those seats appear on their ballot. So every voter you are able to contact is, is a vote for every one of those candidates who's really critical to, uh, to move in our democracy in the right direction. So, so the other, the next step, you know, to sort of leading up to the number one and number two at the top of the list. Uh, Georgia I feel like you're, and, you're doing a Casey Kasem here. Counting down Casey to the number one song in the land. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's <laughs> this is the countdown. So, so stay tuned and just wait. People should be putting their money on where they think that top state is right now because it's coming up just in absolutely. A <laughs> um, so, uh, Georgia and Michigan are, I think, tied right now. As we mentioned before, Georgia has all kinds of, uh, you know, redistricting shenanigans and Michigan, uh, if I remember right, they've got a governor who can sort of stand in the way. But right now, if you look at their races, their, their governor races are both in the, what um, Inside Elections calls the tilt category. They're not toss-ups, but they're just one half step away from toss-ups. Their attorney general races are in the lean category. Uh, so those are pretty, pretty... Um, uh, competitive. And in Georgia, the Warnock race is a toss-up. So this, the, the idea here, right, is where is the vulnerability? Which races are close and we can make a difference when we put energy there? So Georgia and Michigan are, are pretty tight. Um, okay, number two, you ready for number two? I'm ready for number two. Close to home, Nevada. And n- not Nevada, Nevada. It is not Nevada. I've been told by uh, native Nevadans it's, that it's Nevada for sure. So, it yeah. is. It is Nevada for sure. And um, in Nevada, there's a senatorial race. Uh, uh, Cortez Masto is a toss up. Their governor's race is in the tilt level and their attorney general race, which will be so critical, as we mentioned before, is also tilt. So they're nearly a trifecta of, to- of tilt and toss up. That's, that's kind of where they sit. Okay. Do you have a drum roll? I wish I did. Here, let me just pow, go for it. Okay. Here we go. So we need uh, symbols. Thank you. You can imagine that Arizona, Arizona. Yeah. I thought you were going to say also close to home, not quite as close as Nevada. Their Senator race is a toss up. Their AG race is a toss up and their governor race is tilt. Now what we know there is, um, AG current AG Katie Hobbs, who is a hero to many of us, is term limited and is running for governor. And there are two progressive candidates who are vying for the AG seat. So we're going to see kind of how that shapes up. But um, investing in Arizona, supporting the Democratic Party, right? At this point, that can be an investment in terms of monetary investment because they need to build the, the base. They need to build the teams on the ground to turn out the voters in Arizona. And uh, and so it's critical. And there's a lot of stuff actually you can do in Arizona right now. 
put a pin in that for a second. And by the way, thank you for an, for an excellent uh, summation. And I had been in closing. I will say, uh, uh, keep, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. How about that? Uh, that, was, that, that was Casey Kasem's uh, sign up. So you know, before we get into action. We have painted a not great picture here today. So I just want to take a moment to address what I think a lot of people are feeling right now. Um, We know that this is going to be a lot of work. We know that it's going to be an all hands on deck affair. We know that historical odds are really not in our favor. So I think people are struggling a little bit as a leader. um, You know, you're a steering steering committee of win. You're the the leader of Indivisible Vashon. How are you looking at all this? Well, I do go back to those items we mentioned before about the things that are not yet a done deal that are are going to affect the voters, the House insurrection investigation, the 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 radical Republicans, if you will. Um, COVID is you mentioned COVID, and it is a, a player in the sense that the economy is an important driver in terms of how uh, voters feel about their candidates. And, uh, and as is the approval rating of the current president. And we know that both of those are being challenged as, as you mentioned before. Um, however, you know, COVID, while a major concern, is also a changing thing where we have so many people now vaccinated, the uh, a minority of those who are not vaccinated is shrinking. And the underlying economic strength in the country is pent up and ready to move out of the COVID induced pandemic and ready to work. They're ready to buy. They're ready to go out again and, and take advantage of services. All of those indicators are for a, 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 an economy that's ready to, to thrive. And so that is where I look for hope. I also look for hope that um, just in the defeat that we s- experienced just last night, right on the Senate floor, on voting, not rights. moving forward with. We're, we're recording rights. here on uh, Thursday, uh, January twentieth, and on on nineteenth, yes. uh, the Senate was unable to change the filibuster in order to advance voting rights legislation. So yeah. Yes, and so the the network of activists has risen to the occasion, as we knew that they would, and the mobilization of people like you and I who can make a difference is just just another shot in the arm, if you will, of now's the time to engage. And we really need, it's a, it's a all hands on deck is the way it's said. <laughs> um, and, and, and that I have hope in as well, that, uh, that people are ready to uh, see where we're headed, uh, reject that future and engage in any way that we can, uh, either doing a little bit here and there or engaging full in to, uh, to get the outcome that we need. So um, I'm, I'm looking for that mobilization to occur. It's all about action. Uh, Joan Baez, I believe, famously said the antidote for despair is action. So let's talk about some volunteer opportunities. Uh, there, there are a ton both here uh, around and, and around the country. I will stress, of course, that we know that we're going to be putting uh, a ton of our focus here in the state on the race in the 8th District. And there will be a lot of discussion on this program about lots of things that people will be able to avail themselves of in terms of you know, campaigning, uh, or going around uh, canvassing, um, door knocking, doing those sorts of things, uh, phone banking, all the rest of it. So stay tuned for that. What are some volunteer opportunities elsewhere? Well, good question, but let's not leave Washington too quickly because within Washington, uh, nine indivisible group leaders got together to talk about whether we should continue meeting to talk about sharing resources about the upcoming election. And 
many of those group leaders said, we really want to be finding ways to support the 8th Congressional District. And so Robin Gittleman in Washington's 8th CD is now, of course, connected with them. We are going to meet again, and we're going to see if this becomes a get-together on a, maybe a monthly basis to, to look at Washington State. Where can we put our energy, and where can we reach out to uh, indivisible group members across the state so they can join in that? Tremendous. Uh, so so yeah, Washington is still a, a thing. It's coming, and just wait for the details. Uh, once those maps get analyzed, we'll know more. Watch this space, um, as Rachel Maddow likes to say. So, uh, yeah, but I, other I, other opportunities across the country. I know that you've got a, a good, solid list here to, to tick down. We do. Um, so Activate America, formerly Flip the West, they are doing postcarding into Washington. They actually have some Pennsylvania addresses left, um, but those are going fast. So, uh, you know, people are engaging. It's not like we're waiting around to, hey, when when's the starting bell? It's people are doing postcard writing right now. And Activate America says the addresses are flying off the shelf. So now's the time to jump in there. Washington, uh, Wisconsin, excuse me, Wisconsin Dems, they're doing phone calls for ballot requests. You know, voters request your ballot now. So that's coming up January 22nd. There's like three different sessions on that day. The Nevada Democratic Victory Group is doing phone calling. They are calling Democrats across the state of Nevada. Um, and again, we mentioned that's like our number two state. Um, Arizona, phone calling. Um, you know, we are disappointed in Senator Cinema, but we're not giving up. Um, Nancy Pelosi says we don't agonize, we organize. And those in Arizona are making phone calls still to get their voters to talk to the senator and say, you know, you need to change your position. And I believe that we're going to see that same strategy reflected not only with activist groups, with racial justice groups, with voting rights groups and with our White House that they're not going to give up that fight and neither should we. Um, the last two that I'll mention, uh, Center for Common Ground. If you don't know that organization, you'll want to get introduced to them. They're nonpartisan. They focus on registering voters, typically people of color, focusing in states where people of color are kicked off the voting list. And this is a process of check that you're registered. Here's how to register. Here's how to deal with the new roadblocks that are being thrown in your way to register so that they become educated and inspired to stay part of the system. So Center for Common Ground right now, they're postcarding to 730,000 black registered voters in Texas uh, and connecting with them, make sure they're registered because they've got a primary coming up in March 1st that they want them to be at the polls. And the last one I'll mention is grassroots Dems. They operate out of California, but they, they have outreach beyond that. They do both, both postcarding and phone banking into competitive California districts. And at one time I thought there were five of them, but redistricting has now cut that down to three, but those are three house seats that we really need to help preserve a majority. So those are lots and lots of opportunities for people to engage. Tremendous. And all of that will be in the show notes for folks and also at indivisiblevashon.org slash GOTV. Be sure and check that out. Uh, as always, this is great, uh, great information. Kevin, I really appreciate uh, all the time you put into this and I appreciate you stopping by the show today and we'll see you next month, man. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it, Stefan. Thanks again. 
And that'll do it for this week. If you'd like to see a video of this or any of our podcasts, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. Our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at indivisible pod. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.